Welcome to OceanFit's Onshore Podcast, where Andre Slade, that's me, meets the unordinary people of the open water swimming and water safety community onshore to talk about their adventures, lifestyle and passion for the offshore. In this episode, I met up with Grant Seedley, a Melbourne-based open water event organiser and coach responsible for some of Victoria's most innovative open water swim events. Today I'm talking to Grant Seedley. We're in Melbourne, sitting in Grant's little studio, just out in a little house just outside of Williamstown, which is quite well known for open water swimming down here in Melbourne. Grant is the perfect example of an innovator within our sport, within the sport of open water swimming. And it's that that we're going to talk to Grant a lot about today. But we'll start, Grant, with where it all began. You were born in South Africa. You've been here for a long time, though. So you're Australian, really. We kind of share that. Myself coming from New Zealand and now a permanent resident. Uh, I, I even remember the rugby days with New Zealand, South Africa and Australia, and there's no way I would have ever become an Australian back then, but here we are. Yeah, no, well, that's right. It is a good uh, competition between New Zealand, South Africa and Australia, and uh, it's always been, I think all those nations have been very proud of their, um, especially New Zealand, obviously being a smaller country, of their incredible uh, ability. So, but yeah, so... South Africa initially and did a bit of open water swimming there actually with my dad in Durban. So that's probably when I think back, that's where it started, North Beach, Durban, swimming out under the pier on the outgoing rip and then uh, waiting at the edge for a little set and then sprinting out, catching a wave and going back in and taking the escalator back out. So when I think about it, even at the age of 8, 9, 10, I was swimming with my dad in Durban. And it's funny you talk about a rip swim being one of your earliest, earliest memories because now you're becoming quite well-known down here, definitely a little bit famous within the, within the open water swimming community because of the rip swim. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, um, yeah, the, the swim we now have is called, you know, the rip swim and obviously a rip is a body of water shifting out and uh, they always, uh, people are always warned to be careful and so to have a swim that embraces um, one of the most dangerous rips in the world has been has been a great experience, very exciting. Um, obviously, not everyone around the world knows, you know, the rip between Point Nepean and Point Lonsdale, the gateway to Melbourne, but um, it is certainly a significant piece of water in terms of uh, sailors and in terms of the history of Melbourne and, and, and now more so also for swimmers to cross. We'll come back to the, the rip swim because that's one of your more recent swims. Where did it all start for you as an event organiser? Well, I, uh, I started off swimming a lot of open water swimming with the, uh, the icebergers down in Brighton, so uh, out of the baths, which is a wonderful place, and also then at the Yacht Club with a group of swimmers there. And uh, the winter swimming became a thing fairly quickly and the event space was already crowded 12 years ago and I thought if I'm going to start something, let's do something a bit different. So I started off a nighttime swim uh, in the dark uh, on the day of the solstice, so basically the shortest day of the year and it was, a, it, was a, it was a celebration like a pagan festival where we swam in the dark and the idea was to do something uh, unusual, 
something different. So that was the first event, just a, a nice little easy start around the marina in the dark in the middle of winter. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I love it. And I love the idea that you've just, you haven't started with an event that's, you know, just a plain swim around the boys in the, on a beautiful Saturday afternoon in the sunshine. You've picked the shortest day in the middle of winter in the dark. Yeah. And, and in fact, you know, back then we, we insisted on no wetsuits because, it, I mean, initially it was a lot of the icebergers who were great supporters of my event who, who did those first probably three years, I think it was. And we went round the breakwater in the dark without wetsuits. And it was funny, after three years, I thought, this is fantastic, but let's open it up to you know a broader range of people. We moved to St Kilda and um, we didn't have to go around a breakwater. And I even let people wear wetsuits. <laughs> and of course, then I copped it from the iceberg. Said, oh, that's not a proper swim and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, we then moved on to St Kilda. And so I think we had 10 years of of that winter swim, I think I think it was five, maybe at or four or five at Brighton, and another four or so at uh, St Kilda. So your first event was was innovative, and then you continued to build more innovative events. Yeah, I guess I guess I realised that um, you know I enjoyed having an entertainment background too. I enjoyed, I mean, I love swimming, and I've been a coach for many many years, but I I enjoyed something that's a bit of fun as well. So um, I think the next thing we stepped into was the Giants of the Bay, which was a 42-kilometre swim over two days, and it was to raise awareness and money for autism. So we had teams. Um, there probably are people who can swim 42Ks. I, I know a few of them, but this was a team event and uh, everyone had their own boat. And on day one, we set off from Point uh, Lonsdale, we used the incoming tide and went to Port Arlington, which was about 28 kilometres. We stayed overnight in the pub, had a few drinks, had a nice meal. And then in the morning, we took the teams over to Port Melbourne and we did the remaining 14, what's my maths like? Yeah, the remaining 14 kilometres from Port Melbourne to, to Brighton. And yeah, people loved it. And um, Ted Bailey came down at the end of that event and, and presented some prizes um, and we raised some money and awareness for Autism Victoria. So, yeah, that was the – and then the next year we ran that as a single-day event, 25-kilometre swim. We found that operating over a whole weekend was obviously a fair bit of effort. People didn't necessarily have that time, so we, 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 we ran a 25K swim. We went the other way, going from Port Arlington – to Point Lonsdale, and the most important thing about that one is you had to turn right once you uh, came through Queenscliff, otherwise the outgoing tide would have swept people literally out the heads. <laughs> and we had a Dutch guy who came and swam, I think was it 30 k's? I can't remember if it was 25 or 30, I should know, but he basically swam 5 k's an hour for, I think it was, yeah, I think it was 30. He clocked 5.59 so just under six hours for a 30K swim. So you had a bit of a tired assistance, but it was still a phenomenal effort. So that was the next one near the Giants of the Bay. Made people walk the plank. <laughs> um, so we, we, we started off at Sorrento. The ferry went out. I think it was something like about four kilometres towards um, Queenscliff. And then literally everyone jumped off the back of the ferry and swam four kilometres back to Sorrento. And it was a really exciting day. And, in fact, the people on the ferry 
um, there were some paying passages. We didn't really interrupt their trip. They were basically just heading over. They got to see everyone jump off and start swimming and then they went back on their voyage. And then decided <laughs> to jump off for the last minute. <laughs> no, they just, they just looked in disbelief at, at this happening. So that was the next one, walk the plank. And we only actually did that once because then I sort of uh, I, I went into the rip swim, but that was a wonderful event, a lot of fun. What did you learn from running that event? Because it can't be you can't just rock up to the the ferry company and go, hey, you know, on your next sailing, can you just whip the boat around and flip the back off? Yeah, no, you're right. It's every event I've learned new things, and I guess you know, to be honest, that was also a little bit inspired by the um, escape from Alcatraz swim, where where they use the ferries to take people across and um, and then hop out. And what I really learned was, yeah, I guess negotiating with um, with Sea Road Ferries and with the, with the CEO there, um, Matthew McDonald, who is a is a boat captain himself, and just working through the various risk management plans um, and being very specific about, um, you know, other boats being out of the way when we jumped off, um, looking at the tides, obviously very carefully around that area. And then also just, I guess, you know, the insurance side of things about whose responsibility was it, you know, obviously it was his responsibility when everyone was on the boat, <laughs> the moment they jumped in the water, that was my responsibility. And, you know, but yeah, it was, it was another, it was another big step, step up in terms of learning things. Yeah, for sure. So you've completed the walk to plank event, great feedback, lots of learnings, especially about risk management, which you really would have needed going into your next event because the rip swim takes it to the next level, doesn't it? It sure does. And um, I guess that, uh, you know, the rip swim was something that initially started off just as a as a swim with some friends. So the history was that uh, Douglas Mew had swum at first in 1971 in winter, and I've never found out exactly why he did it in winter, but he did it. Then there wasn't another swim until 1990, um, uh, Barry Eastow, otherwise known as Doc, he swam it in 1990. And then a bunch of people swam at the Icebergers and I knew quite a lot of them. And so I decided that I'd organise a little trip with a few friends. And at the time, it really was looked upon as an illegal swim because you were crossing a shipping lane. So a lot of swimmers would look at 3K and think, oh, it's achievable. But what is it about those waters that makes that 3K a lot more challenging than just the distance. Yeah, it's a good point because, I mean, these days everyone loves longer swims and three is not super long. Um, but uh, the rip is a is an unpredictable and, uh, and an incredibly treacherous body of water when it's at its worst. Um, so th- so the, I guess the way to describe it to people is that it's, it's, it's a diurnal tide, so every six hours the tide will change and it will literally go in one way and come out every six hours. So um, the entrance is only 3.2 kilometres across, but there are 25 cubic kilometres of water in Port Phillip. And so the amount of water that is rushing in and out through a small entrance means that it rushes in and out at a considerable rate. So on the, on the strongest tides, you will have water moving at around 15 kilometres an hour. And the fastest swimmers in the world can probably swim at about five kilometres an hour, a little bit more. G'day, kia ora. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about OceanFit. Back in 2009, OceanFit started as an ocean swim school on the golden sands of Bondi Beach. But now, we've become so much more. We deliver our world-leading training to hundreds of swimmers every summer on beaches throughout Australia and thousands learn from our free educational resources online. 
our Swim Scout directory, available on our website and app, will help you find a swim buddy, connect with social swimming groups, and discover swim events throughout the country. You can also participate in one of our events. Escape with us on a wet and wild weekend, or immerse yourself on a boutique ocean swimming holiday at home or abroad. So what are you waiting for? Dive right in at oceanfit.com.au. Enjoy the rest of this episode and swim free. When you're doing it yourself or with your mates and there's no money, there's no commercialism as part of it, you just look after each other's safety, uh, you just get across and you don't think too much of it probably. But as soon as you start making a, a commercial event, takes it to the next level and talked about risk management before, what does that look like? The, just the, the pressure on you, the, the risk that you do take on and how do you deal with it? When you go and do something privately, you just have a swim and obviously you want to look after your friends, but I guess as soon as you're coming out into the public and you're charging money for something, and also in this case you're going across a commercial um, shipping lane where millions of dollars of goods are coming in on massive container ships on a daily basis, you are under a microscope essentially. So I guess I guess it's a combination of staying relaxed, doing your do, um, do diligence and also just basically making good relationships with those authorities and respecting the fact that, um, you know, they have a job to do, but we do have a right to be there. It's a public area. Um, and to be honest, they've been great to work with. Shipping have been incredible. And Parks Victoria, we've, we've, um, we've struck up a good relationship where we, where we um, you know, we go through all the risk plans carefully. But, yeah, certainly a lot to learn. So all that being said and done, you've got your 75-page risk management document, you've ticked all the boxes, you've got everyone ready to go. What, what's that one thing that keeps you up at night the night before? It's the unexpected. And the risk manager, when I first worked with him, said to me, you know, you, you might think that as you gain knowledge and you do more events, your risk gets less. But he said, the more you do, the more risk you have. Because if you just stop now, you'd have no more risk. So every time you're out there, and I've, I've never forgotten that, because on days when the rip is calm um, and you've got good swimmers who are sticking together, it's very easy to be relaxed. But it only takes 20 minutes of a weather change or a swimmer getting a cramp or people spreading out or mistiming the shipping where you've suddenly got a group spread out and you've got to work out where a swimmer is and there's a 300 meter ship barreling in so yeah my biggest thing is is being ready for the unexpected and every time we joke about it but we have plan a b c d e and we're always ready and as i always say it's a cliche i'm a musician you're only as good as your last gig it's actually very much like beach lifeguarding those blue sky days warm days one to two foot surf that's actually when we see more people get into trouble, more drownings because people take risks, people do relax. It's the same whether you're swimming across a treacherous body of water like the rip or you're swimming near a rip on a, on a nice little bay. Just always thinking about risk management, always being switched on. Yeah, never getting too relaxed. And I suppose the big thing we've done as part of our risk plan is to actually vet the field so, you know, if you look at all the different areas of risk, um, you know, people and what they do it is huge. And the more you know about the people who are turning up, 
the better the better chance you have. So when I got a bit of criticism for this event, which I have to be honest, and you know, I know I know a couple of people who were very very critical about us setting this up and said we were, you know, said me in particular was crazy, was was stupid, was putting people at risk. You know, I thought about that for a while, and one of the things I realised was that we run a swim that has um, an incredible safety ratio. So we might have two or three boats for you know fifteen to twenty swimmers. Each small pod of swimmers has a kayaker, and we know at all times exactly how many people are in the water and where they are. And that's really assuring for the the people who do sign up. I had the same problem or issue with uh, when I run an ocean fit clinic. We, you know, we don't know who's turning up for a three hour clinic on a Saturday morning, and it's quite interesting how. People you can get an email and hold this information. You can have a phone conversation, but but to be honest, until you see them, unless they've done the English Channel or they've done a significant swim, but even then, you don't really know how strong they are, how, how well they cope in the cold, the rough, whether they can stick together. Like my project, people have to stick together. I always find that the the weaker swimmers talk themselves up, and the stronger swimmers talk themselves down. Yeah, and I think that might be a bit like it's an Australian thing to be humble. And yeah, I've done a bit of swimming, and you find out they've done the channel or but yeah. So I think knowing the people, and we actually run a lot of clinics, and we run a lot of, I guess pre um, you know pre event get togethers. So with the rip swim in particular, we run a full like a full dress rehearsal where the whole team has to come down, um, and they meet their kayaker. So that's the other thing. It, it's knowing everything. When I say a dress rehearsal, it is, apart from being in the rip, it's a dress rehearsal where you meet the person who will accompany you. It's not a stranger who rocks up and hops on a kayak and says, okay, let's go. You develop a relationship. And I guess the big thing about the rip swim is it's a team event. People are there to savour a body of water. It's not a race. We've run a race, but generally it's it's a savoured experience. And I find when people get to know each other, they develop a bond they develop um, and they develop a sense of responsibility to their friends as swimmers and they stick together. If they don't know each other, they tend to just swim off. <laughs> it's uh, quite popular, the long-distance swims down in, in Melbourne. There's quite a following. Um, long cold swims. There is. There's such a huge tradition, I guess, and obviously the, um, you know, so many people taking on swims like the English Channel um, and training out of the bath there and lots of groups that are now just regularly swimming in the mornings down, um, you know, various parts of the bay over here at Williamstown. Um, there's Port Melbourne, there's Brighton, there's Half Moon Bay. Um, you know, there's a little chapter everywhere of cold water swimmers. And you're right, a lot of long distance swimmers. And I think actually with the channel, we have, I think, I think, you know, the highest percentage sort of, you know, per head of population of channel swimmers come from Melbourne. And then you've got those who are inspiring them like uh, Chloe McCardinal and John Van Wiz who are, are doing it not just once across, they're going twice, three times and, doing it multiple times. So there's lots of people here inspiring the, the new breed coming through. And then we have people like you who are running events that let them continue all year round. Yeah, well, I guess that it's 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 a strong culture of swimming. It's a strong culture of cold water swimming because obviously our water's cold down here in the southern part of Australia. And it's a very, very strong culture of coaching and and knowledge and education. And I think, you know, to have people like, like – um, 
like John Van Wees and, and, you know, his sister Tammy was a great athlete and great channel swimmer and Chloe who's done incredible things as well. To have them around as coaches and advisors, um, it just, just means the information. I think that's one of the reasons Melbourne people are so successful is we have such a great amount of information to educate people about cold water swimming and about um, long distance swimming. And I guess, you know, and that's becoming more of a focus of mine now is, is not, only the, um, not only the open water swimming but the cold water swimming because it's, it's being embraced more and particularly recently with the COVID situation, um, people getting into the open water and realising that it's not just for crazy people. It, it has a lot of benefit and it's proven in science. So what's next for the event, Innovator? It's always a big question, isn't it? It's like when someone finishes the English Channel and you finish and you have a hot drink and people go, so what are you doing next? I mean, I really want to build, keep going with the rip swim because I love it and I think there's different aspects. Um, and and just, just on that for a minute or two more, the thing we're looking at is, is, is probably br- bringing up a big event in the next uh, two or three years where we also take – um, some other craft across, so maybe like some surf boats um, and uh, possibly some surf skis and maybe some paddle ups, paddle paddle boards, stand up paddle boards. So that's that's one thing we're chipping away at, kind of a big major event that happens down there with elite athletes. But for me, and um, I'm hoping to take a small group as well, the Ice Mile is a challenge that I'm curious about. And um, for people who don't know what that is, it's 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 basically swimming one and a half kilometres or you know a mile um, in under five degrees. And a few people have done it. There's quite as a few Aussies, and it's a significant challenge, I think, psychologically and, You're crazy. and physically. It is crazy, and you know, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. But I would like to, I guess, experiment from a personal point of view, but also with a group at, I guess, exploring the sub ten degree. Um, Celsius range. Where could we do that in Australia? Can it be done in Australia? Yeah, or? you can. De- you can definitely do it here, and a few people have. And I think there is some sort of lake. There is sort of some. There are some lakes in the mountains um, that where you can go and swim. Um, and for me, I guess the challenge is is working down systematically, and I'm going to I'm going to look at ways of creating the exact temperature. So if people are used to swimming, you know, sort of nine, ten, eleven degrees. You know, every degree below 10 is is somewhat significant. So I think the challenge, and I would love this as a, as a coach, as a swimmer and as an event organiser, to take a, a small pod of people from being 10-degree swimmers down to five degrees and see what, you know, safely see what the limits are. Um, so that's that, that could be the next thing for me. I'm running cold water immersion classes here at the, at the, at the pool that I have where it's about 11 degrees. It's all relative. That's not cold for some they people. They call that balmy here down they, in the they bay. They do, yeah. I know. I'll have to set it up somewhere else and call it cold water. But I had a couple of people on the weekend and, you know, people who are mainly pool swimmers, let, let's face it, from 25, 26 down to 11 is still cold. So, yeah, I think the cold water is a fascination for me um, because there's a mental capacity and a physical capacity. Um, and so I find it quite fascinating about what you can what you can handle, but safely, you know. And a little bit like the rip swim where you've had people uh, come and prepare beforehand, it must take something a lot more significant to prepare for a 
one mile in five degree water. What what do you think that looks like? Well, I've actually spoken to people. So there's a few people in Sydney who've done it and I've had conversations with them. And I guess when you get down to that level, um, I mean, even in 10 degrees, things can really go wrong. But once you get to that sort of temperature, I know you have really got to have a paramedic on hand. And they sort of talk about people, you know, almost literally just, just stopping and sinking. Um, and the big thing about the cold is your awareness goes. So you really, you, you need people watching you. And, um, you know, at our events where it's 10, 11, 12 degrees, we obviously keep a good eye on people um, because they have no ability to make a decision. And I think if you're, if you're realistic, you're signing yourself over, particularly once you get down to those five, six, seven, eight degrees, you're, you're putting your life in other people's hands. So I guess um, I think it will be, as I said, I think it'll be a very systematic thing. I'm going to start doing the ice bars that people are doing, but also just monitoring and going up a few minutes each time in terms of time in the water to see how the body recovers and nerve damage. You know, I mean, I'm a musician and the last thing I want to do is damage my hands. So I'm, I'm adventurous, but I'm not foolhardy. I don't want any long-lasting issues, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit of a bit of a learning curve for you as well. But do we think it would take maybe a year to bring someone down to, you know, who's a pool swimmer, maybe they're a base swimmer in 10 to 12 degrees? How do you go from that, though, do you think, to being able to spend a mile in five degrees? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't know. I've spoken to people in Sydney who have said they took a year and a half or so, um, but they were experienced swimmers who'd done the English Channel and had done significant efforts and a fair bit of swimming in sub-14. Um, I think the trick here is the logistics. It's finding the water at the right temperature. Um, uh, but, yeah, once again, I think the consistency is huge. So I know if you miss a couple of weeks of cold water swimming, it's not that you're starting again, but it's a considerable effort to get back to where you were. I feel like that could be the, the pinnacle of challenging events. Once you've done an event in five-degree waters for a mile, if you finish it, and you want something even more challenging, what would <laughs> it kind of freaks me out to think what would be more challenging? Well, it does, doesn't it? I mean, people have swum. You've got you've got the Vim Hof. Everyone knows Vim probably, and he did that seventy-five meter swim. I think underwater. Um, I think the first time he did it, he couldn't find the hole at the other end, and his eyes frosted over. And um, and then of course there's you know Lewis Pugh, people like that who've swum. I think a kilometer, or maybe even one and a half. Maybe it was a kilometer in zero. So, yeah, where's, where, I guess where is the limit? But, yeah, as I said, for me as a coach and for an adventurous yet reasonably sensible person, I don't, I don't want to die doing it and I don't want to have permanent damage. So being systematic and just testing the boundaries in a very methodical way is the key for me. Let's talk about your coaching because now you're moving into some some different areas. But you've you've taught swimming for a while now, and you know now you're starting to become a bit more specialist in some areas. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my coaching started when I was 18, so I've been doing it for a long time. I fell into a role at Harold Holt when our coach um, got a full time job, and the squad was going to be abandoned. And I kind of said, "Look, I'll I'll have a go." And I was doing an Oz swim, um, learn to swim uh, qualification. <laughs> And I ended up then coaching people to state level and a couple of people to national level in the pool. So I learned all about the competitive strokes. Um, and then, yeah, I went more into triathlon and surf lifesaving. And so I then started to get into open water. 
And I guess for me, taking beginners from, as you'd know as well with what you do, taking people from that initial period of maybe even being scared of water. And I've had grown adults holding my hand in the bay, walking into fairly warm water with a, like a less than a one foot swell crying. So you realize people who have trauma in the past, um, and even though it's irrational to them, it's it's real. The fear is real. So it's a great thrill as a coach to take people from, you know, being scared to a 1K swim, you know, a 10K swim, the channel, um, into the cold. Yeah. So I'm still I'm still passionate as a coach. Um, but yeah, the open water I think is probably more my thing in the cold now. I agree. The the feeling you get from taking someone on that journey. And something that was seen as such a huge hurdle and big challenge for someone, you know, once they overcome it in the wild, my favorite stories are when they come back and say, hey, look, I never thought I could swim out in a rip or out through the surf or across the bay, but I did. And now everything else in life just is easy now because if I can swim out on a rip and four foot surf at Bondi, you know, I can deal with the problems of the world that I thought were much larger before. Exactly. I think it is very empowering. And, um, I mean, a few people would have met a lady called Susan Berg here in, uh, in Melbourne and I won't, I won't sort of – I'll try not to tell the whole story, but if you haven't heard of Susan Berg, she's worth looking up. And, uh, you know, she tragically lost her, her family in a boating accident and obviously a huge amount of trauma after that. And then over the last 10 years or so, she's – She's embraced not only the open water, um, but the cold, the dark, and swum an English Channel relay. Um, and she's done the route swim with me. So, for a person who unfortunately, very, very sadly, and tragically lost her family to drowning and had to survive herself for hours in the water to, um, to overcome that. And you're right, just incredibly empowering and puts things in perspective. Yeah. And that, that natural environment that wild open water environment, it's the boss and we're only ever hanging out out there really on the cusp of control and at any one time it can take it back. I mean, you even talk about that with the unknown crossing the rip, but no matter how skilled you are as a swimmer or how much experience you've had in the open water, it only takes something small to push you off offline and Things can go from bad to worse pretty quickly. So, you know, it's great to be teaching in the open water. It's great to see these challenges. And it really does make work good fun. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, you and I sit in the same uh, in the same section a little bit here as coaches and, and um, event organisers. And, yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, the biggest thrill for me is seeing people – not only achieve things, so from a coaching perspective or and an event organizer, but seeing the thrill on seeing the look on their face when they finish. I mean it's it's I mean sometimes it's just pure relief. <laughs> Other times it is sort of unbridled joy, you know, when they get to the end of a swim and the smile on their face and uh and um and, and when you get to know people as well and you hear their stories and some people say to me, I've looked at the rip for thirty years or forty years and now I've just swum it. And that's really satisfying. So, yeah, we're lucky. We work in a great area. Absolutely. That story there at the extreme, you know, someone who's looked at the rip and goes, I want to swim across it. But then, like you said before, someone who just wants to go for a swim in open water and you might have played a part in 
coaching them and helping them on their journey early on. And then you get to see them a couple of years later and uh, swimming events and they're doing all sorts of things. And you might even see them swim the rip one day and you go, gee, I was there at the beginning of your journey. And look what, you know, your whole lifestyle's changed because of that one connection that we had through education early on. Exactly. No, it's a very powerful thing. And you sometimes you have to remind yourself because you sort of forget where people started with you. You know, you realize, oh, first time they swam. My good mate Don, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to tell the Don story just for one minute. So Don Riddington, great friend of mine who I met at Paran Pool, and he was doing one, two, three K swims under my guidance. And then we went down to the bay and we started embracing a little bit of cold water and a bit more open water stuff. And I, I worked him up to the bloody big swim, which was, um, or the big bloody swim, whichever way it is, um, 11K swim. And he did a great job in that. And he was 65 at the time. And he said to me over a coffee after that, hey, coach, we've just gone from one to 10. How hard can it be to go to from 10 to 34, the English Channel? And I thought he was insane. But three years later, and after a lot of work, he swam the English Channel at the age of 68. And, um, you know, I sometimes have to remind myself of where he started, you know, getting back into swimming in his early 60s or late 50s after a period of a lot of inactivity. And now, you know, he recently had open heart surgery, but he's back in the water swimming. So you're right. It's a, it's a very powerful thing to change change the direction of a life or just improve it. It sounds like the story of my life where I, I coach hundreds of swimmers every summer and most of them go on to do more swimming than me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're like, oh, Andre, you're doing, a, doing the event next weekend? I'm like, oh, nah. <laughs> no, let, you, you go for it. <laughs> and, and let that be a lesson to all coaches and all event organisers who, who used to be athletes. We are all only as good as our last swim. Absolutely. It's, nice more, to have the, it's nice to have the athletes keeping us honest. Yeah, yeah. I, my clients are always asking, you know, are you doing the swim? Have, did you do that one? I'm like, oh, I was probably just out body surfing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my happy place. Yeah, but I suppose you know that. I mean, that that's interesting. When Don swam the channel, he we we came up with multiple quotes. But one of the things we joke about now is he always says, "I I swim now because I don't have to." And when you take on the channel, you know, it is as soon as you book. And we we both booked three years out, and as soon as you book, it's on your brain twenty four hours a day from the time you book to the time you swim, and that can be a three-year, two- or three-year period. And so when you do finish, there is a there is a period where you are a bit tired of swimming and that, that saying, I only swim now because I don't have to, actually rings very true and he loves his swimming. He still loves it. <laughs> two areas that are becoming quite popular now, cold water or just the cold, or being able to handle the cold. You talked about Wim Hof before. And breathing. Um, and breathing is, it's almost become the next boost or the next high performance focus. Um, and, it, you know, all sports people are doing it now, right through to rugby league teams and not just the individuals. And you're moving your education and your coaching into breathing and, and cold water? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I will say I definitely have been a little bit influenced by Wim Hof stuff. He's an incredible man. He's a great entertainer and he's done amazing feats. And I guess he's been able to control his physi physiology 
and actually influence his autoimmune system um, where they've where they've been able to see his core hasn't changed through incredible extremes of exposure to the cold. So for me, yeah, and as, as a musician as well and a singer, the breathing, as a swimmer and a singer, breathing, breathing's always been important to me. I'm an asthmatic as well. So from a health perspective, um, it, it's important. But recently, yeah, I've started going back into really understanding how the breath makes you feel, I guess, on a on a moment-to-moment or, you know, minute-to-minute, hour-by-hour approach in our lives, not just being an athlete. So even here doing an interview with you, you know, Andre and I only met a few days ago. We've been in touch via email for years. But the way you feel each day, you can you can be a bit nervous, you can be a bit um, flighty, you can, you, you can be too drowsy, too sleepy. So for me, the whole thing about learning about breathing is how to actually change your breathing a little bit to adapt to a to a situation. Um, and that's what I'm starting to take people through now. Um, whether it's a way to embrace the cold and bring focus and visualize warmth, or whether it's a way to relax, stay calm, whether it's a way to energize at the start of the day, you know, and no one has all the answers. This is the thing. Like there are so many different techniques. People have been doing breathing techniques for a long time and experts who come up with different methods who say it's the only way I'm always a bit wary of that. So I think number one, just becoming aware of the breath and then understanding it and learning it. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And then you put that together with the cold. It's a, it's a powerful, it's a powerful way to go reducing inflammation through cold, um, you know, boosting circulation, working on the autoimmune system. And then that buzz, you know, just the buzz you get, even if you're a bit tired, once you come out of the cold water, it, it just wakes you up for the day and it, it, it creates a, you know, swimming creates a great endorphin and cold water swimming creates an endorphin plus a multiplication of buzzes. <laughs> and yes, you're right. It's it's still very early on in the in the discovery of this. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes over the next few years because, you know, as more people start to, teach it and develop their own ways and more people experience it and we and we kind of get that cycle five years time it's just going to be the norm i think well i think it would be it would be very interesting to see too i mean even like you talk about young children these days and um you know obviously the world's moving so fast we've had a challenging time recently and people people talk about things like mindfulness and you know being in the present moment and i think breathing is probably the simplest quickest and most effective way to change your present moment, um, and uh, so I think you can you can do it with young kids. It's not hard. Um, so yeah, it'd be very interesting. You're right from an educational point of view as to whether that sort of comes in a bit more and just helps people, yeah, embrace the moment. And it seems a perfect fit for the open water and ocean swimming because the environments are so challenging and people can be quite easily placed in a state of shock or where they just freeze not literally but figuratively i guess and mindfulness even a little bit of visualization and breathing to make sure that that isn't the last moment they have it's just the first moment on the next step towards getting through that short-term challenge whether it's the a big set rolling in or the realization that the tide's taking you a lot further and therefore you're going to have to swim a lot further than you had planned, just being able to go, all right, I got this. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. We're in a dynamic environment. 
And so being ready and open to change and having the skill set to to handle that change is huge. And you're right, breathing. <laughs> I think like looking at a big set of waves coming in and you know you've got eight to get under and you're not as fit as you used to be. <laughs> mm. and as soon as you come up from a three-metre plunge, there's the next one. Staying calm, yeah. Well, Grant, it's been fantastic to to talk coach to coach. We could talk for hours. We probably could. Thanks for having a chat. It's been really good. We're going to need part B uh, maybe in the summer for sure. I'd love to talk a lot more about coaching and the types of people that we've encountered over the years because those are the inspiring stories that will hopefully inspire the new generation of open water and ocean swimmers. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been seeing all the stuff that you've been doing with Ocean Fit and it's, uh, it's fantastic. I really enjoy it. And um, hopefully I'll get up to Sydney again at some stage too and have a couple of swims with you at Bondi out the back, which uh, always reminds me a bit of Portsea out the back, just a little bit warmer, but it's got a nice big swell. Um, and, yeah, it's really great to talk to another coach um, and event producer and swimmer who understands these different things and hopefully between the two of us we can – we can roll out some exciting things. Look out, folks. Oh,